Hey, this is Laura. And Steven. And this is our podcast, Midday Musings, uh, where we take our lunch break to talk about the things that are on our mind. Today, we're talking about daylight savings and how it is midnight at 2 p.m. now. We're also going to get into how I watch a lot of news, and Stephen does not watch a lot of news, and how I'm trying to not let my news consumption kill me. Anyway, let's get into it. Good day, Stephen. Good day slash afternoon, Miss Laura. You will find that it is not yet afternoon. Are you sure? It feels like the afternoon at this point. I know that 5 p.m. currently feels like midnight, and that's disrupting your sense of time. Dude, what I love about daylight savings time is the fact that I get just like a nice sunset on my lunch break. It's just awesome. I love oh, yeah. That. The colors, mm-hmm. exquisite. Mm-hmm. The lasting darkness. So good for sleep. It's also good for seasonal affective disorder, apparently. That's what they tell me. Are you experiencing seasonal affective disorder currently? You know what? Not really. I'm actually out a lot. You know, I get out, I get my exercise in, and I feel like that really combats it. I'm actually feeling pretty great. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you know anyone who is experiencing seasonal affective disorder? You know, no one has told me they are, but I've got some people on my radar that seem to be experiencing a little bit of it. But they might just be actually sad for whatever reason. (laughs) It could it could be real emotion. We yeah, don't know. We we don't. It might be it might be the seasons, but it could be real emotion. No, but honestly, I'm, I'm I love these seasons. I love the the kind of the autumny November time frame because it's not. I don't love it as much as October because October is filled with tons of Halloween related stuff. October is um, perfect. But November, October is the best month. But November does have Diwali and it has it's Thanksgiving. True. Tons of treats, and I'm all about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's still crispy. There are still brown and orange leaves running around. Oh, yeah. Falling to the ground. Oh, yeah. And Christmas is not far away. No. Mm -hmm. The Christmas Christmas is what I'm waiting for. Um, I'm like counting down until the Christmas markets open. They are open, actually. They are actually. Yeah. Actually, on this very day, there is a Christmas market in, in our neighborhood, which I will tell you about offline yes i saw that i saw that let's talk about it but the, the, the i love it we already have christmas markets that are ready they're ready for us to show up get like warm drinks mm-hmm. and treats and interact with all of that and if you have christmas markets in your neighborhood hey you know you might want to check them out you know it's yeah. something i didn't realize was a thing but they are freaking delightful you show up you leave feeling just a little bit warmer you don't even have to be about Christmas. It's not about that. It's about yeah. the warmth in the community. It's not about the holiday. It's mm. not about the aggressive capitalism. <laughs> it is about warm drinks and sparkly lights. That's what we're here yeah. for. Yeah. I mean, historically, a lot of these like these holidays like uh, Diwali and Christmas and Thanksgiving, they the reason why they're these big communal food and warm drinks and lights is because historically you have a lot of these these cultures that are they have very 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 cold winters where there's a lot of scarcity of food and a lot of just a lot of a lot of people honestly going through a lot just trying to survive and so they would come together they'd bundle their food they they'd give each other warm gifts you know they'd give each other warm clothes to try to like stave off the warm winter months and just being around people was really good for staving off the physical and emotional side effects of winter. And we still do that today. You know, we come together and we, we, we hang out during these seasonal months over these seasonal holidays. I love it. What is the North European country that has the tradition where you have to get 
like socks or else you'll be attacked by a large cat. That is actually Iceland. So Iceland has um, the tradition where you give each other not socks, but like a clothing item. Yes, like a, a clothing item. Sorry, Harry Potter, Dobby, you you know what happened. No, I totally know what happened. But yeah, like they, they have this tradition where it, you give each other clothes and if and that's just part of it. And if you don't get clothes by Christmas Eve, there's like a giant evil Christmas cat that will come for you, apparently. Yeah, like it will it will like attack you. So make sure to give your people, your friends and neighbors um Christmas sweaters if you're Icelandic, apparently. Oh yeah. I I love the idea of a tradition dictating that you have to give clothing items. Right. I, I know we didn't like it at all as children. We were like, toys, oh. et cetera. Oh, yeah, but I love it now. But yeah, from about age 13 on, I was like, I would enjoy clothing and more clothing. Yeah. And if you're like, what should I? Clothing. Yeah. Clothing. Like, cover me in fabric. Dude, even socks. Even socks, because I run through them so quickly. Like... I feel like I just I just got these new socks and they already have holes in the back of them. But you you do put a lot of miles on socks. That is true. I do put some actual running a lot of running miles on socks. Um, the funny thing is, as a kid, I feel like I got a ton of clothing items, and as an adult, now I don't. And I'm like, hey, like, can, can we can we swap that? Can you give me toys when I'm a kid and then give me clothes as an adult? That would be cool. You know, that's an interesting point. Like, I, I'm someone for whom this complaint is relevant. I could get you clothing. You could. I don't. Yeah. But I could. <laughs> hmm. What kind of clothing are you looking for? I, well, oh my God. I'm looking for socks. I'm looking for, actually, I think I have enough sweaters. Maybe jackets. I think I might need some jackets. And, like, some warm pants. This is everything that, like, our grandparents would give us when we were children. Yeah, and I didn't appreciate it. No, right? Once again, grandparents are coming in in the clutch. Like, they they just know how to live. Yeah. Because they've lived for so long. Right? I remember my, um, a friend of mine saying that her grandma used to wake up and have, like, a cup of coffee by herself, like, at 4.30 in the morning, because, like, grandparents wake up crazy early. And she never understood it, but now she does. And I, I felt that. Oh, yeah. I the, felt that so deeply. The desire to just wake up alone and just have a cup of coffee, take some deep breaths, and prepare for the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it is soothing to wake up alone and just, like, solo and just go through that yourself. It's nice. It's really nice. Oh, yeah. I love, I love alone time in the morning. I, I love coffee and alone time in the morning. It's, it's like, do you find that your personality downloads at a consistent hour or do you wake up the person that you are i mean do i wake up the person that i am i that's an interesting question i'm not really awake enough to know when i wake up i i know what i need to do when i wake up when i wake up i'm aware of the things that need to be done i'm not really aware of who i am yet but the things that need to be done kind of pull me into consciousness, I guess. Like they, they kind of get me to where I, I need to be. So yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, what about yourself? Like, do you oh, have to download your personality? 100%. The, the reason I asked you is because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I do not wake up myself. Like my personal personality downloads at about 11 o'clock pretty consistently every day. And I, I go out into the world before that happens 
So I am very aware of when my personality is inhabiting my body and when my personality has not yet come into inhabit my body. My personality has some like errands it needs to run before it can like be in life. Yeah. So I find it essential, desirable to the point that it's probably essential, but I, I don't create the boundaries in my own life to, to carve it out as essential to wake up alone. Mm. Cause that will, that will invite my personality into my body earlier, mm-hmm. but it has no interest in like hanging out with other people mm-hmm. until 11. Yeah. That's why I like to do a lot of my um, my physical work in the morning. So I I'm a morning uh, a morning exerciser. I do morning journaling. I I probably not journaling. Like this is a thing I've done since I was a literal child. So it has nothing to do with the organization of my emotions or thoughts. I just kind of have to write every day out of a pathological need to put words into sentences or lines. No, totally. We all we all have that impulse. I mean, at least I, I know I do. I assume so. There, there's something really satisfying about chronologuing your day, capturing what you've thought about or what you're doing or what you've seen. I find that if I'm out in the world and I do something and I don't take a picture or I don't write about it, it's like it didn't happen, even though I know it did. But if I don't like write it down on the calendar and say, this thing, going to this thing, and then the next day look at it and go, that's the thing I did. It's it doesn't exist. The past, the past is gone to me. Like it is, it is a it is a shadow of a specter of a ghost. And the only thing that exists for me is the present and how it serves my future. Mm. That is the only thing that exists for me all forever, honestly. I feel like that is something you should discuss with your therapist. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't relate to it. I'm just saying I don't think it's good. <laughs> good for you. Uh, I also have trouble remembering what I've done or, or what I'm going to, I have a very bad sense of what I'm doing. People will frequently ask me how I have been and what I've been doing. And it just like a black space opens in my brain, a cavern into which no, you you can't see the bottom because no light shines into it. People are like, how have you been? And I'll be like, do a physical scan. And I'm like, I feel okay. (laughs) I'm probably okay. Yeah. What have you been doing? Oh, such things. <laughs> such things have I been doing. Such things. Such things that the, the the minds of mortals could not possibly fathom. Yeah, I'm really, really grateful for social media for this reason. And this is an unpopular opinion. But uh, it's the um, Snapchat or Instagram 24-hour story thing mm-hmm. where you can chronologue small parts of your day. I find that so helpful because I will do it. And then at the end of the day, I'll be like, what did I do today? And I can go onto my own story and be like, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. Excellent, wonderful, we accomplished things. You know, sometimes your day can be so storied with activity or thoughts, thoughts or plans that it's hard to remember what you actually did in a day or what happened in a day. At least I find that's the case. You know, I'm I'm always planning or thinking about what happened yesterday or who I am or whatever. Yeah, I've read it's actually symptomatic of an inability to live in the present, not remembering what you've done. And I'm like, oh, that (laughs) I don't I don't like that. But probably the case. I, I feel like I'm constantly thinking and particularly when I'm in the company of other people, my brain almost doesn't record information 
Like I don't, I do, I'm not there. I'm overwhelmed by how surrounded I am by other humans to record memory. Like most of my strong memories include me being alone. Mm. And I think that's the moment where the brain is like, okay, we know what's going on. We, we got this. Like I am now in a calm enough state, not overwhelmed by stimulation to record this memory in uh, its emotional, intellectual, and physical detail, mm. but, but only when I'm alone. The memories I have of conversations and socializations are so evaluating, like evaluative, analytical. Whenever I'm in social situations, I'm like monitoring, not out of some kind of like anxiety or pathology, I don't think, but because I'm interested in human mm. beings. And so I'm just like watching them. You're analyzing and observing and you're excited to hear what they have to say, but you're not like necessarily enjoying you're not well like, it's all oh, information uh-huh, is the thing great. it's it's like I'm intaking information it's it's a similar feeling to when I'm in a classroom I'm like information 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 not a lot of emotional content right well, yeah 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 or Definitely at least uh, yeah. emotional content that I am consciously aware of so that that's me with other people I'm like what am I learning learning laughing sometimes what, what are you people up to tell me your things and then sometimes people will say something that like gives me an audio scar and I think about it for like days afterwards. That's how I interact with other people. Interesting. Thank you. Interesting. So anyway, so that might be indicative of an inability to live in the present. That might be. I don't think that's uncommon. I no, I don't, I don't think it's at all uncommon not to live in the present. I think that's, that's uh, a lot of people. No one I know lives in the present. Most people I know either are obsessed with the future or obsessed with the past or some combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the thing about the present is this moment right now is the present. And now that moment that I just talked about is the past. And in fact, as you're listening to this moment in the podcast that I just recorded, it is absolutely in the past because all of this happened a day, two weeks, five years ago. So like, I think that's maybe what makes living in the actual present harder I don't know. Maybe I'm just giving myself an, an out because I, I don't live in the present. How can um, you say something controversial and so brave? Don't stop it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously though, like I don't know what it is about the, living the present that is that is so challenging. But I do know a lot of people I know, like I said, live mostly in the past. Love, like think about the past a lot. They think about either for better or for worse. They think about the good old days or how they messed up or things that went wrong in their past. Or they think about what they're going to do in the future or what they're scared about in the future or what um, what's ha- just neutral thoughts about what's happening tomorrow. Like, oh, I'm going to go to this barbecue with some friends. You know, I don't necessarily hear people saying, wow, as we're, you know, as I tend to run a lot, as we're running, I don't tend to hear people say, wow, look at that sunset. I just, let's just take a moment and just observe this beautiful sunset. And the thing is, to be honest, when I'm running, I actually am in the moment the decent amount because I'm actually the guy who will say, holy cow, that is a beautiful sunrise or that is a magnificent sunset. I just want to take a moment to like acknowledge it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I actually really enjoy doing cardio specifically so that my brain can just like run right away. Yeah, yeah. Like the opposite of living in the present. Like what I do when I do cardio, which is what running is, I'm thinking the whole time. In fact, I'm I'm doing this exercise, this repetitive um kind of mindless exercise so that I don't have to think about what I'm doing and can instead use 
all of that oxygen and like pumping blood to think about my day. That's mm -hmm. when I, that's when I like ideate and plan my day. So it pulls me out of the present even more. It's, it's like this, I think of it as like a moving meditation. It's a totally somatic is. release from self. No, it totally is. But a lot of the times I'm thinking about how pretty a sunset is. I don't generally tell people. Do you think people are secretly thinking about the sunset as you run? I don't know, but I think people appreciate it being noted on, honestly. Maybe. I think they really do. Because if they are thinking about it, they're like, I'm so glad you said that. And if they aren't, it's a reminder to like live in the present a little bit and look at the freaking sunset and think about it, you know? And that's not to say that as I'm exercising, I'm always, you know, in the present, but I just find there are some particular moments when I'm, you know, off my phone, I'm out and about, I'm with people, I'm like on the beach and I just see like a sunset. I just see a sunset or I see like a beautiful scene and like in that moment, I'm there. I'm in the present. I've got some some music on. I've got some Hans Zimmer on. And I'm just there, you know, for like a minute. And then I'm back to thinking about, you know, oh, what did I say? Or what are we talking about? Or where am I going tomorrow or whatever? Yeah, you said people live in the past or the future. Do you live in the past or the future? I live in the future. Yeah, the, the past doesn't exist for me, honestly. Really? Yeah, it doesn't. The past is gone. I don't believe you. Just because of the way you're saying it. Like, you, you have liar voice. <laughs> you have lying liar face <laughs> Do voice. I know? Yeah. Oh. yeah. You, you take on a particular cadence when you're defensively lying, and that that's it. <laughs> well, listeners, you heard it here first. Laura does know me pretty well, so <laughs> apparently that is my liar voice. But, like, I feel you. I, I, would, I would love to pretend all of those things, too. In general, I try to be at peace with my past. And sometimes I succeed. But the future is such a strange gray wall to me. I'm always planning for it, but I can't see it hmm. due to the fact it's the future. Well, what, what about you? Where, do you? where do you live? Where do you find you spend most of your time? I mean, probably the past, just not my personal past. Hmm. Well, yeah, like the historic past yeah, of like I, a nation. <laughs> I, I live in the history place pretty strongly. And the reason that I do it is both because of profound interest. But also because the shape of the past really mirrors the shape of the present and you can sort of do some forward projection about how things are going to work out based on how they have previously worked out. This is, this is how I'm able to consume a lot of news without losing my mind mm. because I always see it in a historical context. The newspapers are shouting at you and screaming at you and begging you to be terrified of everything. Every day, yeah. Every single day. Like, they, they want that relationship with you. They want to be able to cause you shock and fear and for you to engage with them because of that. They want to create a trauma bond. They want to be your harbinger of doom and for you to be terrified. Yeah, they're like, this, this gets more clicks and or more eyeballs and that benefits us. But I've been in history classes where they showed us the head the headlines from actual terrifying periods of history. And you you kind of have an idea of how news media is trying to shape your idea of what's happening. And then you compare it against what actually happened with like old news media headlines and the actual events that we know historically. And then you look at your news headlines and think about the probable events that are occurring historically and the various 
levers of statescraft that are used by by different uh, actors on the global stage. And that can be calming. That's a calming exercise. It's it's like a, a Zen garden mm. for the newsreader. Yeah. I mean, I, I think having that historical perspective, if you're going to be consuming a lot of news in particular, it can be really, really helpful for grounding, for, for leveling, because otherwise you don't really have an anchor. You just have all of these very exciting and often very terrifying headlines that just make you think, which is what I hear from a lot of older folks, what's wrong with the world today? Like, what's wrong with the oh, world yeah. today? I, I get, I hear so many, it's, it's interesting because you'll hear it from like 50 to 65 year olds, but also like 20 to 29 year olds. Like those are the two groups that think the sky is falling and everyone else is just hardened and embittered <laughs> or completely disconnected. And they're like, I can't believe this is going on, but it's indicative of the fact. So for the the young ones, it's indicative of the fact this is the first time they're reading news with, with any with any sense of adulthood. Like when your brain, your brain will turn on to politics at a certain age. And it's probably not as a teenager because you're within an institution where you're too focused on school, really, to see the outside world unless the outside world comes into your school. But as you get into adulthood, young adulthood, you start seeing politics and they start impacting you and your light turns on, basically. So them going, the sky is falling, makes total sense. This is one of the necessary evolutionary yeah. points in you consuming news media. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Yeah. It's, it's always bad, yeah. but we're here together. <laughs> it's, it's like how a, a, when a baby cries when they're really, really young, they're crying, they're screaming bloody murder. And we think, oh. Maybe baby being dramatic? No, because this discomfort, this pain they're experiencing of like stubbing their toe or like this physical discomfort, this is the worst pain they've ever experienced because they've just been born six months ago. They don't know what it's like to have a flu or have a stomach bug. And they're like, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. And I would say that kids who are going, coming maybe 18, 20, 20 something who are reading about politics for the first time, this is the worst this is the most fear that they've experienced around politics. They haven't, this is new to them. And so it's very scary. Yeah, yeah. When you're a child, you kind of accept everything that yeah. you see. You're like, this is normal because uh -huh. this is me developing my sense of normalcy. And then at a certain point, you have a developed sense of normalcy and start to see deviation from what you've seen before. Yeah. And that's like, ah! And you have context too. Yeah, and you develop context mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So it's it's a dramatic time. Yeah. You, you start becoming a member of society and I have to confess, not recommended. Like if you, if you can avoid it, if you can avoid knowing anything about what's happening in your society, you'll be happier. I don't know that you'll be safer, but you will be happier. And then you've got the older folks who, this is, an indica this is actually an indication of the same thing, I think. I think that they got smartphones and this is the first time they've ever consumed news at this rate. Mm. So they probably wandered around life Television news existed, but they weren't big news watchers. Like print news existed, but they were probably magazine consumers. Like they didn't have this intimate, immediate, constant relationship with news that that a smartphone will force you into. Mm -hmm. So they're also like, the sky is falling. It's different than when I was growing up. Yeah. And I'm like, girl, I was growing up 10 years ago and it's still so different. Like, do you remember when pimple patches got invented? That was insane technology to me. Like, had I had this as a child, I would have 
I don't know, I, I would have had a healthier relationship with pimple management. So it sounds like the advent of just the internet and not really the internet, but all of the information that is available on the internet immediately. It sounds like that has had an equally strong impact on the younger generation and the older generation. And honestly, I think maybe ours too, because it's just way more information than we ever had, you know? And so it, it can be stressful without context. I feel like for millennials, it's less stressful. I don't know. I... This is this is a personal opinion. If you're a millennial, tell me if you feel this. Because we were consuming so much information so young, we kind of developed uh, a pretty good tolerance for it. Like we're we're strong in the area of information consumption. We we've done the lifting, we've trained for this. And so um and, and we've trained for like absolute problems. Mm-hmm. Like we were our light was turning on during the great recession, which I know I constantly reference here, but like guys still here. We, we saw so much and we were consuming media and uh, the internet at the same time as so much was happening that I think we're grizzled. There's a war veteran quality to the way that we consume news media now. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying we have a higher tolerance for stress. That, that is what, early digital native gave you. Yeah, I mean, I I would say I definitely agree with that, you know, because I feel the same way. Like, I can endure a lot of stress. I can read a lot of upsetting things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have, like, thousands of the things I've seen, Stephen. (laughs) The things that I have seen, written down, photographed, videotapes of, like, I have witnessed the deaths of hundreds of people and I have never, ever been at war. So, you know, the news is the news. <laughs> yeah, and, and when you put it in that perspective, it's it's really not that stressful. And to be honest, I'm not a big fan of reading the news. I have Nor this, should you, nor should you. So I, <laughs> y'all may, listeners, y'all may judge me for what I'm about to say, but this is how I get my news, okay? So I talk to the people who I know in my sphere, and I ask them, what's going on with them? Like, what are they thinking about? What are they learning about? And then what gets filtered through to me from them? That's the news for me. Um, I don't read the news. I intentionally avoid it, actually. Some guy called it being news sober. I'd say I'm news sober adjacent Mm -hmm. because it makes me miserable. It just, I don't know. It just, maybe because I lack the historical context, but it, it works because I still get the headlines. You'd be surprised. I still get a decent amount of like, here's what is actually happening. And here's what either in the world, what's happening very broadly that you should know about, or here's what's happening in your local community. And what mm-hmm. I like about waiting to hear what people in my, around me have to say is I actually learn more about what's happening in my local community, because that is one, uh, a group that I can interact with more. Totally. Two, it's something that I might actually be able to make a positive impact on if it's a if it's a negative thing. If it's like, oh, old man Willis is being kicked out of his house, we have to rally together and get a Kickstarter going so we can save him from getting kicked out of his house. Or this local business is at risk of failing. Yeah. Please patronize this local business. Exactly. Like that that kind of stuff. So it's like it's actually kind of a throwback, but I, that's how I get my news. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, And if someone was to ask me, what is the healthiest way to interact with current events? I would say don't. 
Um, people will yeah. tell you what's important. They really will. Mm -hmm. Humans are, are very helpful individuals and they will find other humans and be like, this is happening. Yeah. And if you get to the this is happening part, that's how you know it's actually quite important news. No one was going to not know about COVID. Right. People will tell you. Yeah. I suffer from curiosity. Like I, I think the happiest people I know have zero curiosity about the world. And if happiness is what you're going after, don't like, don't even think about what could possibly be outside of your experience. Just be in your comfort, comfortable little zone. But I need to know what people are talking about and not just like normal people. I mean, like fringe communities on the internet. I am obsessed with people and what they get up to. And so for that reason, I have to consume not just current events, but also the myriad reactions to current events, because I want to know what they're thinking and how they're emotionally receiving this information mm -hmm. and what it's making them do. And I think that satisfies me enough that it might make up for the seven years of life that I'm losing by regularly consuming news. That, that's at least according to a class I took in college on the effects of mass media. Individuals who consume news regularly on average die seven years earlier and I know it's the stress. I can feel it. At one point, I got shingles like on my face from <laughs> the stress of reading news. Yeah. This was like a year and a half ago. Like, I'm in my 30s. People get shingles in their 60s and their 70s. But the stress. Well, you just have a special commitment to learning about what's going on in your world. Is it worth the shingles? It went away. Eh. Uh, yeah, I'm eh. fine now. Yeah. But you're right, it does have some some negative um, health effects. On the other side, like I, I go through this filtered process and I miss a lot of stuff, you know? Sometimes I, I feel a little out of the loop. Yeah. So even though I may be a little, definitely a lot less stressed about current events, I do feel a bit disconnected. I feel like there there's that trade-off, you know? You, yeah. you are either more connected and anxious or you're less connected and a little more content. Oh, sure. But in 100 years, what is the benefit of me knowing all of these things? Well, in 100 years, we'll all be um, alive and kicking. <laughs> I'm <laughs> hoping. A little yeah. kicking. Medical technology. <laughs> right? Dude. <laughs> I saw Bicentennial Man and I was like, yes. Yes. I, I would mean, do that. I mean, to be fair, whenever whenever uh, the topic of vampires come up, I know I know where you are in on the camp, and then it's not because of the drinking blood; it's because of the the perpetual life and the ability to learn. I think you just like learning for the sake of uh, learning. I think curiosity, I believe, is one of your core values, and I think it's a good yeah. one. Yeah, I I think I get from uh, learning what a lot of people get from like drugs and thrills and like <laughs> living life on the edge. It does give me like this little rush to know things and learn new things and discover things. It, it, it fills me with a sense of wonder that is enough that I'm willing to accept a, a shorter lifespan. Yeah. Like that's an insane thing, but this is what I'm into. No, that's not an insane thing. That is a passion. It is that a is, passion. That is a passion for a subject. Look, Mm -hmm. I feel like I go to the running wall a lot. Get sure. used get used to this. It's gonna happen. He runs, guys. <laughs> he does. Just ask him. I know people who coach uh, runners and they've actually seen the negative health impacts mm -hmm. from people who run too much. You know, it is yeah. something 
it's something that in theory is, is very is very good for you but like some of their more extreme uh clients who are running i don't know like a hundred miles a week mm-hmm. or something they're now in their 40s 50s or something and they're actually experiencing some health issue a couple of their hearts are like just not as good as they should be because they're putting too much stress on their mm-hmm. heart so would it be recommended for them to slow down running maybe but honestly they must be getting so much joy and fulfillment from running is it worth the five or seven years that they're going to lose off their life for them probably yeah because no like, it's it's the things that you love that will destroy you they're going to do so many ultra marathons that they're just going to be intimidating to talk to like oh yeah for the record an ultra marathon is anything over 26 miles so that can be anywhere from 31 miles in a single go 50 miles in a, in a single go or 100 miles in some extreme cases so that is a lot of miles folks but the quality of those years mm. will be improved for them because of their commitment to their passion and that's what I'd say for you with your curiosity about news and, and about what's happening in the world. Yeah, I'm hoping that my commitment to my passion will keep me alive because sometimes that does work. Like Henry Kissinger loves destroying the world through through his diplomatic ties. Like he loves it. He is 100 years old. <laughs> the Grim Reaper does not come for him, though he comes for everyone else. But I think it's the true joy of hating everyone that gets Henry Kissinger, Mitch McConnell, and other ghouls into like their 90s and 100s. And I'm hoping that my passion, my ghoulish passion for the things that happen to people, the horrible things we do to each other, and the the glorious moments of grace that show up in the midst of all the horror, I'm hoping that will get me to 93. You know, there is something to it. My Tia Rosa, who uh, had a passion for frogs, like okay. just had all these different frogs. Okay. I swear she, I think she made it to 100. I think she either made it very, very close or, or past 100 years. That would be incredible. With this huge passion for frogs, both like real frogs and just frog baubles. She just had like 30 to 50 frogs in her house. Not real frogs. No, no. Baubles. We don't frogs. know the number of real frogs she had in her house. We don't. She she would not tell us that. She had a two-story house. I never saw the first story. It could have been entirely populated by frogs. It, it's know? actually a lily pond. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> told you. Oh, man. That would have been so whimsical. <laughs> like, like, hola, tia, como estas? And she's like, bien, get us ver. Do you want to see the pond? Like, there's a pond? Yeah, hay ranas. There's frogs down there. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, really? Yes. Get your galoshes on. We're going to go look at the frogs. <laughs> oh, thank you for that image, Laura. Now, that's a more whimsical world where my Tia Rosa had a, had a frog lily pond in her basement. You have no evidence to suggest this version of events is not true. I don't. I don't. But you do have evidence that we are getting a little long in the tooth podcast-wise. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yes. Vampires. Yeah. This, this single podcast is running a bit long. So I am going to let you and your frog Tia <laughs> off the hook and get, get on with your lives. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. It's been a pleasure as always. And listeners, this was an interesting one. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things. Let us know what you think. If you want more, if you want less, if you, whatever, let us know. Do you, do you watch the news slash receive the news regularly? How's your heart? Drop us a comment. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been Stephen. And Laura. 
Thanks for tuning in to Midday Musings, the podcast where we talk about all things large and small. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and look out for polls and Q&As in future. We'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts and reactions with us on Spotify and on social media. Catch you next lunch break.